Hello and welcome to 10 by 9 where 9 people have up to 10 minutes each to tell a true story from their own life. And this is the 10 by 9 podcast. I'm Paul Dorn and in 2011, Padre Gotuma and I started 10 by 9 in Belfast and we love it. You can find all our events and all the things you need to know about us and more at our website 10by9.com. As you know, COVID-19 has forced us out of our beloved black box and onto Zoom for the foreseeable. And while we miss our home venue and live audiences, we also love our new audiences and storytellers who've joined us from around the world. All three stories in this podcast were told via Zoom on Wednesday, November 25th. It was a collaboration with Belfast City Council's Peace 4 initiative and we were delighted to present stories on the theme, Peace. And what a selection of stories we had. First up is 10 by 9 co-founder, Padre Gotuma. Um, my parents were part of a prayer group when I was younger. It worked for them. It worked for the people for whom it worked. I hated it, but more of that later on. There was about 60 people who'd meet every week in a parish hall on Sunday afternoons. Um, uh, 60 people who'd meet in a parish hall every week on Sunday afternoons, 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. And it would start off with songs, lots of them. People sat in concentric circles, main prayer group leaders, the important people sat in the middle, close to God, I suppose. And then everybody else sat in outside circles. Our family always sat in the very outside circles. It was a Catholic prayer group. So there was a lot of people with a lot of children. I think, I mean, I said 60, it's about 60 adults. So I suppose adding the children in, there was a lot more people. The first half an hour or 40 minutes were songs, all of which had been written in the 1970s, and they overused agricultural metaphors. The fields of the Lord, the harvest of the Lord, the seasons of the Lord, and sorry about this, the seed of the Lord, all made regular appearances. And while the songs were awful, I did love learning new chords for the guitar and would try to sit where I could see the best guitarist, an American woman called Barbara, playing. And afterwards, I'd quiz her with queries like, you know, in the third key change of the second last song, you did an interesting chord arrangement of D. What was it? Could you show me? She was patient and very nice. Anyway, after the 40 minutes of songs, there would be a talk, a long one, possibly an hour long followed by a few more songs and then cups of tea. The teenagers from that um, prayer group were all in groups, the boys groups and the girls group. Periodically, the older men would try to arrange for the boys to be part of a sharing group where we'd all deepen our religion and heterosexuality, talks about prayer and then talks about football or shooting. And I always found a reason not to go. I had an exam, I had to study, I had something else going on. Every now and then, though, the men would arrange a weekend for all of the fellas, the older men and the younger boys to go away. And I wasn't able to get out of those weekends. One of the other teenagers was a fella called Dermot. And Dermot hated me. And this was mostly the reason I hated everything to do with the prayer group. Dermot hated me with all of the hatreds. He'd push me, call me a faggot, spit at me, get everyone else to laugh at me. For a while, I had one friend amongst the rest of the lads, but Dermot got to him. On the way to the very worst weekend that I'd ever had as part of this youth group, my one and only friend said to me, Padraig, you remind me of a girl. Oh, which one? I asked, even though I knew where this was going. Then he said, all of them. My friend, my former friend, that's what he said. So we got to the weekend and I was already hating it. 
and it was horrible. It was worse than what I thought it could be. A year can feel like a week, but a weekend with lads practicing to be heterosexuals felt like a fucking lifetime. Telling it now and remembering it now, it's all the usual stuff of bullying, name calling, pushing, teasing, laughing. Any time I tried to say anything, um, he would retell it in a way that made everybody laugh at me. Like I said, the stupidest thing. He got everybody to call me Sheila and he seemed to relish in everything. The leaders of the group, the men who were trying to teach us about, you know, being men and being grown up and being manly and godly, they just ignored everything that was going on, even though they saw the whole thing. Dearman took absolute and utter delight in it all. I remember that when he used to smile, he always stuck his tongue between his teeth and I could see him watching me gulp back tears after one awful part of the weekend, after he'd rallied everybody against me. There he was, tongue between his teeth, eyes filled with pure delight as he was smiling at how successful he'd been in being a bollocks to me. I couldn't wait to get back home. A few weeks after that awful weekend away, it was Dearman's birthday. The prayer group had this terrible practice of honoring people. So when it was your birthday, somebody else would stand up and honor you in front of everybody. It was awkward. It was modeled on the American parent prayer group that had started off this one in Cork. And it felt like everybody was practicing being something other than Irish by doing this really <clears throat> extroverted, emotional thing in front of everybody else. There was no laughter. There was no crack. There was no banter. There was no story. It was uh, death by sincerity. Anyway, the men, all of whom who had seen everything that had happened on this youth weekend, decided that the best way for me and Dearman to reconcile was that I would honor Dearman in front of everybody by talking for five minutes about how brilliant he is on his birthday. So one of the men phoned up, talked to my mother, and then I went onto the phone and they told me that they thought it was a good idea um, then he'd seen me, this older guy had seen me and Dermot hadn't been getting along, he said. And they thought that me telling Dermot how brilliant he was would help repair everything. And in the space of about 30 seconds, any respect I'd had for this man and for any of the other older men just disappeared. Blame the bullied and butter up the bully. So I said, no, I was a frightened child, but I said no. Then he said, um, you should think about it, Padraig. And I said, no. And then he said, you definitely should think about it and maybe even bring it to the Lord, as he said it. And I said, no. And then he said, it's really disappointing, the answers you're giving to us, Padraig. And I said, no. The prayer group um, didn't last much longer after that. The American parent prayer group had a huge split. And then the Cork version had a huge split. I'm not sure what it was about. I know my parents were very sad that it ended because the prayer group really did work in terms of community if it worked for you. Lovely people and friendly. It was just hell for me and I'd have burnt it down every day if it had meant I could have been, I'd have never had to have seen any of them again, especially Dermot the Dementor. So I grew up, I was about 14 during this time. I moved away, I mostly forgot about Dermot. I moved overseas, I moved back to Ireland, I moved to Belfast. A number of years ago, my sister said to me one day, oh, I have something to tell you, um, but I've forgotten. Oh, that's very handy, I said. Any idea? No, nah, not a clue, she said. And every now and then I'd text her to say, what was that thing that you were trying to tell me that you have forgotten? She's like, oh, I can't remember. And then on Christmas a few years ago, she said to me, I remember the thing I was supposed to tell you. 
I've been working away with a guy who keeps on asking me to tell you particularly that he says to say hi. Like every time he comes into the lab, they both work in microbiology. Every time he comes into the lab, he says to her, he doesn't even say hello to her. He says, how's your brother Padraig? And my sister said, I say that you're grand. And then this fellow says, please, please tell Padraig that I say hi. Please remember to tell him. All right, what's his name, I said. Um, Dermot, my sister said. His name's Dermot. Do you know him? Thanks so much, Padraig. And what a brilliant illustration of the power of no. And if you want to see Padraig tell that story, it's on our YouTube channel, along with all our previous Zoom events. Also, if you want to keep up with all things 10 by 9 wherever you are in the world, follow our social media feeds. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and of course, on Instagram. And if you'd like to tell a story at 10 by 9 Go along to the guidelines page on our website and get in touch. We are always looking for storytellers. Now, next up, with a very different story of peace, it's Carolyn Beck. To really learn a lesson, get up close and personal with it, no matter how embarrassing or blush-inducing being in the classroom is. My first lesson in peace occurred way back in the mid-70s and involves two of my cousins, who are sisters, to preserve anonymity, let us call them Helen and Elizabeth. Helen and Elizabeth were my closest playmates from my childhood, as we saw each other every Sunday afternoon and during the summer holidays, we would spend a week staying at our granny's house in a respectable housing estate in Dundonald on the outskirts of Belfast. They grew up on my uncle's farm were full of energy and up for anything. It was quite the novelty for us back then to spend a whole week with our granny, whom we all adored, as she would give us her undivided attention and love. It was especially fun for me to have playmates on tap, as it were, from first thing every morning to bedtime. Trips to the park and shops in the morning buying a quarter of clove rock or rhubarb and custard sweets from the corner shop on the way back. And then Granny would cook lunch for our spinster aunt, along with us three, squeezed into a tiny kitchen designed for two adults. After dishing up our food and everyone was chomping, Granny could be relied on to ask, now is everybody happy? After lunch, we would get up to all sorts of play adventures, creating show jumping courses around the back and front gardens. This was to indulge the family obsession with horses or playing at dressing up in our aunt's clothes. Granny would keep us contented with a regular daily supply of those DIY quencher lollies made from orange squash poured into the ice cube tray with a cocktail stick added before being frozen. Each day we'd be rounded off with a trip to either Bangor or Newtonard swimming pools. All good tame stuff. With this sort of idyllic summer, what is the lesson in peace you may ask? Well, as an early developer in terms of puberty, I had the misfortune of having to wear a bra at least a year or two before my cousins. The addition of this item of clothing to my suitcase was the root of much teasing, particularly 
as it meant I no longer needed to pad out the dressing up efforts with the way Helen and Elizabeth needed to. On the fateful day of my lesson in peace, devilment got the better of the girls and they decided to prank me and my self-consciousness with hanging my bra out the front window of Granny's house. When I discovered what they had done, I was mortified and immediately decided in a massive huff that I was going home. I packed my bag and told Granny what I was doing. I reached the front gate and had just gone through it to walk the 20 miles back to Valenhinch as if a backward glance and I could see and hear Granny calling me from the back door. Now, as everybody knows, grannies are angels in disguise. And here was mine beckoning me to come to her. I could not refuse to do what she told me. She was my mum's mum. So it was unthinkable to defy her. So I turned back, but still nursing my bruised 10 year old ego. When I reached the back door, she looked down at me and without drawing attention to my suitcase or my huff, she took three of the DIY quencher lollies from the ice cube tray that she was holding and said, here you are, give one each of these to Helen and Elizabeth and you have one too. Boom, that was it, done. And so it was, I made up with my cousins and peace was restored and we carried on as before. About 15 years after this encounter, I was a volunteer at an international community of lay and religious, Protestant and Catholics, at a conference retreat centre that existed to promote peace and reconciliation. As is often the case when two or more people share the same space for any length of time, there arose a conflict between two community members. It was particularly intense and as we existed to pray for and support reconciliation, the situation seemed to shout, to me at least, practice what you preach, people. Community prayers each Tuesday evening at 5.30 were focused on reconciliation and anyone could sign up to lead a creative reflection on this theme. And this conflict was becoming the elephant in the room, as it were. I had won the community over with the taste of Irish soda bread scones made to my mum's secret recipe. And as, as this situation was screaming out for a peace gesture, I signed up to lead a Tuesday evening prayer, with the germ of an idea of an intervention to break the tension. So prepared with a platter of freshly baked scones topped with butter and jam, I led the prayer with a retelling of the story of my peacemaking granny. And following granny's lead, I invited the injured party to share around the scones with everyone. At the time, it felt like a risk. Either party might still feel aggrieved and upset and refuse to participate. But thankfully, they were not, and the gesture worked. Thanks, granny. Uh, grannies really are special. Thanks so much for that, Carolyn. And thanks to Zoom, Carolyn told that story from her kitchen table of her home in England 
and it's great that technology is bringing us together during this difficult time. As you know, 10 by 9 is always free, but we do have a Patreon page if you'd like to help cover our overheads and keep us going through this period. We're so thankful to everyone who's donated, whether it's a recurring payment or a one-off. We really appreciate it. Now, here's our third story, and a little bit of context if you're not familiar with this part of the world. Mark Carruthers is a well-known BBC journalist, and the Lagan is the main river in Belfast. I hope that helps. Here's Paul Hutchinson. Say hello to Betty for me, cracked the voice on the other end of the phone, as I traced the river Lagan upstream away from the sea, sneaking my way to the Lyric Theatre Belfast, where I had been invited as a man involved in peacemaking to witness the handshaking of Elizabeth, Queen of the UK and 15 other realms, and Mr. Martin McGuinness, Dairyman, Deputy First Minister, former IRA man, tried and tested Republican, who himself once took up arms against the British state, the very state that Elizabeth would have been and still was the symbolic head of said state that Martin wanted, still wants, to dismantle in Ireland. In other words, they did not have much in common, did not hang out in the same pubs. In other words, many of their advisors had severely advised against the handshake. In other words, they both had serious reservations about being anywhere near each other. In other words, they both had family who had been killed in this long British-Irish war. In other words, they both had skin in this game of hand and shake and hope and hurt. In other words, it took guts to shake hands, knowing that the pain was far from finished. In other words, this was a very big deal, even for 2012, when ceasefires and peace agreements had seriously changed the political and physical landscape of Belfast and the north of Ireland. Say hello to Betty for me, laughed my dad down the phone as I traced the river lagging upstream away from the sea, sneaking my way to the Lyric Theatre Belfast for the famous handshake that everyone was talking about. I looked around nervously as I walked, phone to my ear, which was hot from my father's anti-royal roasting. Perhaps phones were being tapped in the surrounding area for security purposes, and MI5 had heard a man in his 70s utter the words, say hello to Betty for me. And that was enough menace heard in his voice for a red light warning. And troops were now being dispatched to my location by the lagging. And I would be lifted and removed from the area for questioning. And I would have to say, my father does not like the monarchy. In fact, he hates the monarchy. In fact, he thinks they're all leeches and that the royal family should be dismantled and the money distributed evenly to those in need. And yes, my father is a prod from Sandy Road and he still doesn't like the Queen. I looked around for signs of rifles in the greenery, for frogmen emerging from the lagging. Nothing. Perhaps I was safe for now. I said to my dad, look, I have to go. I'll tell the Queen you said hello. He laughed and said, I'm proud of you, then hung up. He did not like the Queen, but he openly loved me and he knew I was being honoured and being given this invite. I strode my way to Lyric Theatre to witness the historical handshake 
only to be told after jumping several security hoops that most of the assembled would not actually witness the historical handshake between Marty and the Queen, but that we would be present for the Queen's tour of the room of around 50 people. We were then instructed on royal etiquette, about when and how to speak, and something about bowing or curtsying, which I immediately forgot. So the handshake would happen in another room. There would be a single camera present for the moment that we would later see on the news. And then we would have an audience with the Queen after that. Which is really, which, is, which in reality would mean Mark Carruthers, BBC journalist, introducing each person as the Queen toured the room. Mark would say, this is Paul Hutchinson, Centre Director of Corrie and she would say, and I would say, etc., etc., etc. But we'll get to that in about two hours because there was now a two hour wait. Time to get drinking, water. I was nervous and thirsty, then just nervous. Then, after two litres of water, nervous with a full to burst bladder. Not a great combo just before you meet the Queen. I decided to relieve myself and powder my nose, check that I didn't look like a very sweaty man in a tweed suit. I walked to the exit where the toilets were located. I was stopped by a large security man who said, where are you going? And I said, bathroom. And he said, no. And I said, pardon. And he said, this room is in lockdown and no one is allowed in or out. He was a big man. I didn't want to make a scene. I turned and walked slowly back to my seat, very slowly. Because you know when you have a full bladder and you've been holding it in and then you say, time for the toilet and your body is going, get ready. And then you're told it's a lockdown by a burly security guy. Well, your body can't just unrelax again and go, okay then, I'll just hold it in. And now all I can think about is the fullness of my bladder. More drinks are offered. I take a glass, but don't drink it until nerves make me mindlessly drink another half glass before I realize that I have filled up even more. I wonder if anyone has ever wet themselves in front of the queen from nerves or a full or weak bladder. The press would love that story. Also in today's news, at the historical handshake, Paul Hutchinson pissed his pants as he curtsied in front of the Queen. The Queen, ever the pro, noticed a growing wetness in the peace activist's groin area and moved away swiftly. This is what I was thinking, and now I am chanting internally to myself, come on, hurry up! Shake hands and say you're sorry. Come on, you two. Come on, come on, come on. Just like in the playground when kids have been fighting, stop that. Shake hands, say you're sorry. Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up and shake hands. Get it over with. But you can't hurry a historic handshake. Timing is critical. The optics crucial. The mood music is, come on, hurry up and do it already. Take the plunge, Betty. No, don't mention the word plunge. No water images, please. Anyway, the Queen arrived 20 minutes later with me in private agony on this very public of stages. And she did come up to me and she was introduced to me by Mark Crothers who said, this is Paul Hutchinson, 
director of Corrymeela Peace Centre, and I did shake her hand, her gloved hand, the gloved hand that had shaken Martin's ungloved hand, and the Queen said, better yourself, she said, how's it going? How's it going? The Peace Centre, my career, reconciliation in Ireland, the event of the lyric, my fool to the barrel bladder. Of course, she expected a banal answer to her banal question. The Queen did not really want to know how the oldest peace centre in Ireland was going. I can't remember exactly what I said, something about exciting times with lots of challenges ahead, some appropriate waffle befitting an audience with the monarchy. And then she was gone to the next person and the next person, to a room full of people she did not know and would likely never meet again. I shook some other hands, including Martin's. I'd shaken his hand before. And in case you're wondering, I did get to the toilet in town and had kept a dry score sheet in the underwear department. But remember this, and remember this well, you can't take the pee out of peace. Ha! <laughs> You won't see that featured in The Crown. That was brilliant, Paul. Thank you so much. Thank you so much to the Belfast City Council for teaming up with us and to everyone who was part of the evening, especially all our storytellers. And that is it from this podcast for now. I'm going to ask a small favour. If you enjoyed this podcast, could you go to Apple Podcast or Spotify or wherever you get your fix of 10 by 9 and give us a rating, and if you could, maybe leave a short review. We would be very grateful. It helps get us noticed. This podcast was written, produced, presented, mixed, and published by Paul Doran, so it's all my fault. I'll be back with another podcast soon, but for now, bye-bye. <laughs>